the name of today's sermon is Defeating Your Giants. Defeating Your Giants. Have you heard lately the TV evangelists with this saying, you need to stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is? Have you heard that? All right. It's true, but it ain't new. <laughs> it's definitely true, but it ain't new. And what I'm going to do today, Lord willing, is take us all the way back thousands of years to two people who did this. And as King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, this is the, there's nothing new or it ain't new. The thing that has been is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Now let that resonate with you for a minute. What's been is to be and what's to be has been and there's nothing new under the sun. And think about that when we think about our God who says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And all of the promises that he has given in this book are just as valuable and true today as they were the thousands of years ago when he wrote them. So if I was talking about giants, I would be remiss if I didn't touch on David and Goliath. You know that? But first I want to talk about someone who faced two giants at once. Moses. When Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt... He found himself between two giants. One was the Red Sea as they stood at the shore of it. And the other giant was the, the army of Pharaoh, the Egyptian army that was barreling down on them to wipe them out. Now through the eye, the, the natural eye or the eye of flesh, it is impossible for him to do anything because he's got some say 30,000, some say 600,000, some say 2 million people to get across a sea and he doesn't have one boat. But through the, the natural eye, this is frightening and overwhelming, but he is looking through the spiritual eye, the eye of faith. And God tells him to raise up his hand and his rod. And Moses raises up his hand and his rod, and the impossible happens, the Red Sea departs, and they walk through on dry ground. They walk through on dry ground. And when Pharaoh's army comes behind him, Moses turns around and does something, whatever he does, he raises his hand in that stick, and the sea comes back and destroys them. When you see something that is daunting and impossible, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Now, let's go forward to this little boy, David. Now, I want to set this up for you before I get into the uh, 1 Samuel 17 just so you know what was going on, so you have a, a good understanding, a grasp of the context. Saul had been told to go out and take, take the armies of Israel and defeat the uh, Amalekites, Amalek. And he was told to kill the king, the children, the women, everything, the cattle. Nothing is to survive. You are to kill everything. He doesn't do that. He brings the king back. He keeps the sheep and goats and the spoils, all contrary to what God had told him. And now Samuel comes along and tells him, because you have disobeyed God and don't understand that obedience is better than sacrifice, because that was his excuse. He kept the animals to sacrifice them when God told him to destroy them. Samuel tells him obedience is better than sacrifice. And he tells him that God is now going to take the kingdom from you and give it to one better than you. And that takes us to David. There was a man named Jesse. God tells Samuel, go to Jesse's house. 
I want you to anoint the next king of Israel. Jesse has eight boys. They bring the first one in. And Samuel's like, this has got to be the guy because he's a big, strapping, handsome dude like me. (laughs) And God goes, no, we don't want him. Next. And they do that all the way through the seven boys. And then Samuel goes, well, God brought me here to, anou- to anoint someone. Do you have another, another child, another boy? And he says, yeah, he's a little guy. He's out in the field shepherding our sheep. Call him. They bring him in. Samuel looks at this little boy. God tells him, that's the one. I don't look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. Anoint him. And Samuel pours oil on him, and he is anointed king of Israel or the next king of Israel. Now, I don't know how old he was, and I don't know the space between that occurrence And chapter 17, but that's where we're going to pick up. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongs to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Ezekah in Ephes Dominium. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And down in that valley is where we would call the front lines, where the armies come down and fight. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, whose height was six cubits and a span. A cubit was a measurement from your elbow to your fingertips. So depending upon the size of the person that was doing the measurement, you'd get different uh, heights. So we get a height of Goliath of 9 foot 7 inches tall to 10 foot 6. This is a big dude. (laughs) So just so you get an idea of how big he is, the door you walk through and the doors that you see, the standard height of a door is 7 feet tall. He was three feet and six inches taller than that. It'll help you understand that. I don't know if there's any old basketball players in here, but a basketball hoop is ten feet off the ground. And he was six inches taller than that. This is a big, formidable man. And if you looked at him through the natural eye, it is going to be impossible to defeat this guy. And I'll show you why. He had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat of mail was 5,000 shekels of brass. That equates to 125 pounds. This coat of mail that they're talking about was like a metal mesh that was woven together to protect them from swords. If it was woven tight enough, it would even protect them from arrows. But it weighed 125 pounds. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs. Now, if you remember what... uh, what, uh, what that is, is when you see kids playing soccer, you know, they have those little shin guards on their knees. That's what a sheave is. But they also had sheaves that went over the knees and up to the thighs to protect them. Okay, so he's got brass on that as well, on his legs as well. He's got the mail of coat, or the, the uh, coat of mail, and he has a target of brass between his shoulders. That's like a breastplate. So this guy has got some serious weight. He could probably kill David by dropping his equipment on him. He's so so big and strong. And the staff of his spear, there's more, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and there was one bearing the shield before him. 
that shekels of iron was, was 15 pounds is what his spear weighed, and his spear was 12 feet tall because, you know, your spear is usually longer than you are. So just think for a minute in your natural eye to look at this colossal, colossus man and listen to what he says. And he stood and he cried to the armies of Israel, and he said unto them, Why are you come out to set battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. So he's what we call, where I come from, he's selling wolf tickets. That he, he's going to jack these guys up, right? And if you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. He's like, let's do this one-on-one because he knows Listen, the average height back in those days was about five foot five inches tall. He stands almost twice that, and he knows that it's very unlikely that anybody is going to defeat him man to man or in the flesh. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Big mistake, first mistake. Give me a man that we may fight together. So he's asking for a man, but look what God sends. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They are petrified of this guy. And just think for a minute what this must look like. This monstrous man is calling you out, and he wants one of you to come fight him so he could put everybody else in captivity. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he, said, and he had eight sons, and the man went among them as an old man in the days of Saul. It's basically saying he was an old guy by now. Verse 13, And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Next unto him was Abinadab. And the third was Shammah. So his three oldest boys are going to battle. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. They went with Saul to the battle. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd. Remember, I told you they called him out of the field to shepherd that. And now he had gone down to want to see the battle, and he's gone home to take care of his dad's uh, sheep. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. He's standing there selling this wolf ticket. Now... What I want you to know is in the Bible, when you see 40, the number 40, it represents things. If you just think back for when you were in Sunday school and you were learning about the biblical record, the flood was 40 days and 40 nights. The children of Israel were in the wilderness 40 years. Moses was on Mount Sinai 40 days and nights and received the Ten Commandments. And in the New Testament, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted by the devil, but he warded off the devil with the word of God. So this means when you see 40, it is a a time of testing. And it's a a time of hardship, but it's a period of time that was well respected. And so we have it here. Jesus fasted those 40 days and resisted the devil's temptation. You too can resist the devil by getting on your knees learning God's word and letting that ruminate in you and and constantly thinking about God's word, reading it day and night. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. That's how you're going to defeat Satan. And with something else I'm going to tell you as we go on. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an effort of parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp for thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. That's what the troops were. And look and see how they brethren, thy brethren fare and take their pledge. It was common for the people to feed the army. We do that today. It's called taxes. <laughs> and boy, are we overtaxed. But that was what happened then. The families would go out and feed the, the um, armies. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. And he took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was, was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. In those days, I um, can't remember the m- recent movie where you see the guys all with their spears and on their horses and they're like, ah, charge, and they go in. Well, that's what's about to happen. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Now, David has not neglected his duties. David has not neglected his duties. Even though he's thinking about dealing with this giant, he has not neglected his responsibilities. And when you deal with a giant in your life, do not neglect your other responsibilities. When you are dealing with a giant in your life, do not neglect all of the other things that you are responsible for. For Israel and the Philistines had put it to battle. David left his carriages in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistine and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. He's saying the same thing. I'm a Philistine. You are servants of Saul. Send a man that I can kill him and you will be my servants. Just imagine this guy. He's about this big. All right? And he is selling those wolf tickets and it looks like he can back them up because he is a big dude and he is covered in all this metal. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So they're like, uh, never mind. <laughs> That's a big boy. All right? So now they're scared. They're petrified because they're looking through the natural eye. But David looks through the spiritual eye. David looks through the spiritual eye, and David knows something. So let's keep going. That was 24. And the men of Israel were petrified when they saw the man, and they fled from him. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches. Stop listening now, right? And he will give him his daughter, ooh, even better, and make his father's house free in Israel. No taxes, yes. <laughs> so David spake to the men that stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine? and taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies 
of the living God. David is looking through the eye of faith. David knows something. David knows that the children of Israel and their armies and everything about them belong to God. And how dare this Philistine challenge the God, the Most High God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the living God. The Philistines had these homemade little jobs there, you know, little little idols that they worshipped. And he dares to defy the armies of the living God. David is seeing this and is saying to these guys, hey man, you, you're looking through the wrong eye. You've got to look through the eye of faith. You've got to look through the eye of faith and trust God. This gives us insight to how David sees this giant through the spiritual eye. He doesn't see him as just this big looming obstacle that he can't defeat. He knows with the power of God he can defeat him. And God's army is going to survive. Now, don't forget, David has been anointed as the next king of Israel. David knows that. And David knows, like we should know, when God says something, it is coming to pass. When the God of heaven and earth says something, it is coming to pass. And no one or no thing can do anything to stop it. And this little boy has been told, you are the next king of Israel. So David can look at that giant through the eye in faith and go, you can't do nothing to me. I'm going to be the next king as soon as we get this guy out of the way. But you're not going to stop me, right? So let's see what happens. Verse 27, and the people answered him after the manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that kills him. Saul's going to enrich you. He's going to give you his daughter and you're going to be free in Israel. Verse 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke and spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those sheep in the wilderness? And I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou might see the battle. Now often, friends, when someone is facing a giant in their life and you show up to help, your intentions can be misconstrued because they are frustrated and angry, and just don't know what they're going to do with this giant that they're facing, and you come along, and they misinterpret your intentions. The frustration now comes on you. We used to see this when we used to go to a domestic. The husband and wife are fighting. You show up, all that animosity and attention goes to the police officer that just went there to try to bring peace to the situation. This happens in our lives when we are dealing with something and we are frustrated. We often snap at the people who are trying to help us. The focus attention shifts from the real giant to you. When you see someone facing a giant and you want to assist them, and this is very important, always pray before you go to help them. When you see someone struggling with a giant, always pray before you go to assist them. And pray with them first before you say anything else. James 5.16 tells us, Confess your faults one to another. Admit that I'm facing a giant. Man, I got this thing for alcohol. I've got this thing for pornography. I've got this thing with my son or my daughter who is just wayward. I've got this thing. I have a financial burden. Be honest and look your giant in the face so that you can deal with it. James 5:16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen? 
Read that again. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now remember something. There's no righteousness in us. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And boy, you can't beat that. Amen? That's the righteousness God sees when you pray and cry out to him. David's fear of the brothers, or David's brother's fear of the giant has shifted to annoyance with David. And today we call that the white elephant in the room. I'm sure you've heard that, right? They're talking about everything but the issue, right? Keep this in mind when you're facing a giant in your life and someone comes to assist you. Don't snap at them. Pray with them. Thank them for coming to try to help you and work with them. Listen to what God is saying to you through that person and then check what they said in God's word. I'll always tell you that. And when you go to assist someone else, remember that as well. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He's like, what what are you breaking on me for? I, I just brought the food and I'm just, daddy told me to come. And here's the 10 loaves of the cheese and the bread. But like I said, they're frustrated with this giant. They're afraid of this giant. But the Bible tells us that perfect love, God's love, agape love, drives out fear. And David knows about God's love and he's about to tell us why. Verse 29 and 30. And he turned from him toward another and he spake after the same matter and the people answered him again after the former matter. And when the words were heard which David spake, They rehearsed them or they told them to Saul and he sent for David. He's hearing, how dare this Philistine defy the armies of the living God? Saul is like, hmm, all right, let's get this kid up here and see what he's got. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. This is a little guy. They don't tell us how big he was, but remember I told you that the the average size of a man in Israel at this time, was about five foot five. This is a little boy. They estimate his age between 10 and 15. So I don't even know if this kid hit, hit puberty yet. He might have had a high squeaky voice. And here he is standing there talking to this huge man. But you see, that's God. how God works. The Philistine, Goliath, has called for a man. And God goes, I don't need a man. I'm going to have this little boy teach you a lesson, let you know who I am. I am the great God, the I am that I am. There's nothing greater and more powerful than our God, folks. Verse 32, David's faith and confidence have grown through his past experiences as he has learned that God is forever faithful. God is forever faithful. And David's going to explain that to us now. Verse 32, and uh, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will fight this Philistine. Verse 33, And Saul says to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. You're a kid. And he is a man of war from his youth. Saul is looking through the eyes of the flesh. Typical sight. David is not. And David says to him, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. Now we know this is true. From the prep, I told you that he was out in the field as a little shepherd boy with a staff, maybe, right? And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him. This is a bad little boy. (laughs) And delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard or the place where the beard grows is the actual translation. 
and smote him and slew him. This is a little boy. This boy has got faith in his God because of the past experiences he's had, and he's going to explain it. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. I killed a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, as one of them, seeing that he hath defied the armies of the living God. Boy, folks, I know, I sure hope, and you know who you belong to. I hope you know who you belong to. You know, in the NFL, the football season is going, right? And, you know, they got these big monstrous football players slamming each other on the field. But you know who the most powerful people on that field are? The refs. The guys in the striped shirt, some of them as skinny as me, right? But they represent the power of the NFL. They are the most powerful people on the field. You are the most powerful people on the planet because you represent Jehovah God, the Most High God. Woo! Amen. Verse 37. David said, moreover... Listen, this is what he knows when I told you David knows something aside from him being king. Look what else he knows. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with you. David knows that it wasn't just him. It was his God that delivered him from the paw of the lion and the, and the paw of the bear. It is God who will deliver you from your giants, whatever they are in your life, but you've got to take it to him and trust him to do what he tells you to do. And Saul armored David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he also armed him with his coat of mail. Saul is looking through the natural eye, thinking that this battle is done with steel and his armament. David knows something else, right? David knows that his God is faithful, His God has never failed him. His God is forever faithful. The God that you serve is forever faithful. He is never going to leave you or forsake you. He will never fail you. He will be there when you are in need and meet your needs. You've just got to take it to him in prayer and trust him and trust him. Let's keep going. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he assuaged to go for he had not proved it. That assuage to go means he puts it all on, and then he goes, no, this ain't cutting it, and he takes it off. Don't forget, Saul Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. So if the average man is about five feet and a half, Saul is a foot and a half, a head and shoulders above them. His helmet was probably big. You ever see those kids when they put their helmets on and they're kind of going sideways and got his big brother's clothes on, right? And that's what's going on here. This, This armor is suited for for Saul, but this is not the armor that David needs. All right? This is not the armor that little David needs. David knows from his past experience that it is God who delivers us from our giants. David knows from past experience that it is God who delivers us from our giants. The lion and the bear were giants that God had delivered into David's hand, and God would also deliver this giant into David's hands. That's what this little boy is believing because he's looking through the eyes of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Look what it tells us to do. For we walk by faith, not by sight. If you're looking through the natural eye, it's overwhelming. But if you're walking by faith, you know that your God can do everything. If we look at the many of the giants you'll face by sight, it seems impossible. If you look at the many giants you will face in your life, it seems impossible impossible for us to defeat them 
But when we look at them through the eyes of faith, we know that with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's Philippians 4.13. You should put that in your memory bank, man. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is God who strengthens me. It is God who fights my battles. Amen? Amen. If God be for you, if God be for you, who can be against you? Who? Matthew 19.26, the latter part of the verse, Jesus tells us that things that are impossible with man Things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Amen? Come on, say amen like you mean it. Amen. Things that are impossible with man are possible with the God that you serve. Let's keep going. Back to 17, uh, chapter, verse 38 and 39. And David girded his sword upon him and he took them off. Took them off of him. And he took his staff in his hand and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. Now, you know, we in Christendom can find the littlest thing to debate, right? There is a huge debate over why David picked up five stones. Some say he didn't think he was going to do it with the first one, so he might have thought he was going to miss. And the second theory is that Goliath had four brothers. And one stone was for Goliath, and the other four stones were his brothers. So with that in mind, I am going to give you some homework. I hope you have something to write. You have something to write with? There should be little pencils in the thing in front of you. This is going to be your homework. You are going to look, when you get home, at 2 Samuel. That's the second book of Samuel, chapter 21, verses 16 through 22. Again, your homework is to go home and read 2 Samuel, chapter 21, verses 16 through 22, and come to your own conclusion. And I'd love to hear what you're going to think about that when I see you again. Now, I'll tell you, when I go to battle as a police officer, I don't put one bullet in my gun. (laughs) I put lots of them in there because I just might miss, all right? But we're not talking about a physical battle. We are talking about a spiritual battle. We are talking about this little boy facing this giant, looking through the eyes of faith, okay? He puts the stones in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script, and the sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. Now, let me tell you this. David's armor is not the armor of man, the armor of metal. David's helmet is not of brass. Remember, Saul gave him his helmet and he took it off. He's taken off all the metal because David's helmet is not of brass, but his helmet is the helmet of salvation. His helmet is the helmet of salvation. David's breastplate is not of brass, but the breastplate of righteousness. David's loins, that's around the hips and down the legs, are not covered with greaves of brass, but of truth. David's shield is not of brass, but the shield of faith. David's sword is the word of God first, and then Goliath's sword, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. So what I want you to do, or what I want you to think about, is your battle, as the the Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. I'm going to flip there real quick and read them to you. But it starts with, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Put on the whole armor of God, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. What you're seeing here, David is seeing, is, and just think about this, David knows that it is the forces of evil 
that he is facing. When you were little, remember the little marionette puppet shows that they would have in school? They had the little puppets on a string, and the puppet was moving around, but you didn't see the marionette, the actual puppeteer behind there who was pulling the strings. And that's how you've got to look. Looking through the eyes of the flesh, you see the puppet dancing around, but through the eyes of faith, you see the puppeteer, what's making this thing happen. And that's how David is looking through the eyes of faith. Through the eyes of faith. All right, so put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Next verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, you should know this one, but against principalities, against powers, against the, po- the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. The sexual perversion that they want to teach your children or your grandchildren in school is the manifestation of the dark, evil, wicked forces that are in high places today. Remember that. That's why you must fight this battle with prayer. You must fight this battle through faith and asking God to fight this battle for you and give you strength, all right? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil, the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand on the promises of God. There's a song, Standing on the Promises of God, right? I love those old songs, man. They were right out of the Bible. Stand on the promises of God. Every single one of these promises in this book is for you. Stand on it and hold fast to it. Stand, therefore, having your loins gird about with truth. Stand, therefore, with your loins gird about with truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, and that is Jesus Christ. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I didn't mention the shoes, the feet shod with the gospel of peace, because this is war. This isn't about peace. This is war. And sometimes to have peace, you unfortunately have to have war. Above all, taking the shield of faith. David is looking through the eyes of faith. Therewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how you got to fight your battles, folks, with the Word of God. Notice I didn't use verse 615. I just mentioned it briefly, but I didn't use that verse because it talks about peace. So... Look what King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. There are different seasons in your life. And you deal with those seasons according to what God tells you. Look at the first one. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. These are seasons in your life. A time to mourn and a time to dance. You don't want to see me dance. (laughs) A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. David's got this one backwards. (laughs) He slings them and then he gathers them and then he slings them, right? A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to get and a time to cast away. Some of those things in your life, you need to get rid of them. Just apply this, what I'm saying to you, metaphorically to the things in your life, the things that you know you don't need in your life. You know they are standing between you and your relationship with the God. Get rid of them. A time to rend and a time to sow. 
Sometimes some relationships need to be torn apart and they're gone. And sometimes you need to repair the relationships in your life. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Boy, is that important. Remember when Job's buddies come and they start beating him up, telling him all the things that he did wrong? They should have. Well, first they were quiet and then they started just hammering on this guy. Don't do that to people when they're struggling with a giant. Listen, if someone loses a loved one, you don't have to come up with some profound saying. Just be there for them. Put your arm around them and just tell them, I am there for you. Whatever you need, let me help you with that. A time to love and a time to hate. He's telling us to hate wickedness and evil, not other people. A time of war and a time of peace. For David and Israel, this is a time of war. The five smooth stones, I tell you already, that is your homework. Second Samuel 21, 16 through 22. Verse 1745, back in 1 Samuel. Verse 45, here is David doing what I told you about the modern-day evangelists and their latest cliché. You need to stop telling God how big your problems are. You need to start telling your problems how big your God is. And here we see little David doing that. Verse 45. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go backwards a little bit here. Verse 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare his shield was before him. He had a shield bearer. This guy would carry his shield for him, and then when he got in battle, he would take the shield from and fight from him. It's a strategy I wish I knew when I was knocking down doors. We used to have this big pipe to breach doors. And I used to schlep that thing because I was the biggest guy in the unit and I'd boom down the door. But I can tell you, after climbing up five, six, seven, nine flights of stairs, man, I was spent. I wish I had looked in the Bible and saw, hey, you carry that for me. And when I get to the door, you give it to me. There's so much in this book, I tell you. So much in here. All right. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Dagon is one of them. That's a whole nother sermon. I won't go on too deep in that. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. When you face a giant in your life, that's how it makes you feel. That it's going to destroy you. That it's going to overwhelm you. And you can't defeat it. But you can defeat it. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? Amen. Then said David to the Philistine, Here it is, telling his problem how big his God is. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, how you who you have defiled. You're in big trouble, buddy. My God is big. 46. This day will, will the Lord deliver you or thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Boy, when you defeat a giant, when God assists you and you defeat a giant, let people know I was going through the same thing. I got on my hands and knees and God delivered me because God is faithful. I couldn't do it on my own, but with the power and the strength of God, I defeated that giant. Share that testimony. It tells us in Revelation, they overcame by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. It will encourage them. Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know, all this assembly, the soldiers on both sides, the Israelites should know this, but he wants everybody to know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle 
is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Friends, the battle is the Lord's. Take it to him. Verse 48, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out thence a stone and he slang it and he whack, smote the Philistine. Down this giant goes, face first. <laughs> the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistines. And he took his sword and he drew it out of the sheath, therefore, and he slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw this, that their champion was dead, they ran. Let me sum this all up with this. The battle is the Lord's. David is just not the boy behind a sling and a stone. It's not about the boy behind the sling and the stone. It's the God behind the boy and the sling and the stone. When it was Moses facing his giants, it wasn't the man behind the stick in the hand. It was the God behind the man with the stick in his hand. It's not just you behind your prayer. It is the God behind you behind your prayer. To defeat your giants, friends, you must know this God that I speak of, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and us. I hope you can say that, and us. And when you do know Him, you must trust and obey Him, the God who stands behind you.